0: When you think of the grid, you think of a highly regulated system, right? Regulated in terms of security, regulated in terms of the markets, and regulated in terms of how consumers, you know, are engaged as customers in the grid, or ratepayers, as they were previously called by utilities, right? Now they're talking about customers. And so I think that what you're seeing is the the policy and markets and technology are coming into alignment. And there's a lot of investment that are kind of that is flowing into that space as well.
1: Welcome back to the DeCarb Connect podcast. And I'm thrilled to have Scott Harden, who is the CTO of Innovation for Schneider Electric. And anybody who listens to the DeCarb Connect podcast knows that we are always fascinated to learn from the leaders in decarbonization, the leaders in the energy transition. And I think we can all agree that Schneider Electric has grabbed a, a large piece of the puzzle um, around this kind of work. So it's going to be really great to hear from you, Scott. Thank you for joining us.
0: Well, Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm really delighted to be here.
1: So I know um, a little bit about uh, Schneider Electric and I, I do know that in your role you're establishing the vision and strategy and growth plans for prosumer and commercial electrification, which is bang on in our area. But you're also yeah. tasked with innovation around general energy transition activities in your operations. Beyond that, can you give us a little bit of an introduction that sort of speaks to how you have arrived at this point in time where you're, you know, you came from Microsoft, where you're doing uh, innovation and sustainability work. So how have you arrived at Schneider Electric? And, and how is it that you've come to work on this really exciting kind of space of decarbonization and energy transition?
0: Sure. Yeah. Glad to give you some background about myself. So um, you know, it's it's been a really interesting journey for me, but I tell you, I, I feel so fortunate to have this role because it's like the best job anybody could have from my perspective. You know, I love technology and I'm also very passionate about energy transition. And so how did I get here? Now the way I got here is I'm I'm a technologist and and I started my career in technology and consulting but I navigated into the energy industry about 20 years ago, really getting into some fascinating work that had to do with both data as well as utilities. And when I joined this industry back 20 years ago, I was I was captured and I didn't leave. And so my route really took me through working with utilities and consulting projects around data analytics to a lot of grid modernization programs, and then ultimately into uh, Microsoft, where I was recently the CTO for Worldwide Energy and Sustainability. Um, where i have found you know how i have really gotten to this role was because i really do have two feet you know one in the industry and the other in technology right and i find that it's a really interesting bridge because if you look at the way that the industry is headed and how it has evolved through this whole paradigm shift into the energy transition Digital plays a huge role, right? And there are many people actually I have worked with that come into careers you know, in the energy industry nowadays that are not really energy people by trade in an engineering capacity. And so for where I am today, so where I am with Schneider, if you know Schneider, you understand that you know, we're really set up as an industrial to serve two key markets, energy management, as well as industrial automation. Where I sit inside of our business is really focused on our growth initiatives. And so you can think of us as a growth engine within Schneider taking on the large scale incubations that we see as essential for pushing forward with energy transition and delivering on the promise of a decarbonized society. And so some of the projects that are within innovation today are, as you said, prosumer is part of that, e-mobility is another part of that, as well as work that we're actually doing in industrial automation with our colleagues in Aviva. And And so so my role, I talked about kind of bridging between the energy and between technology is really to kind of bring those two together. I'm responsible for research and development when it comes to our large-scale innovations. I'm responsible for our longer-term technology strategy as well as the key alliances and partnerships that are going to be essential for us to take on these huge complex problems that we're looking to
1: solve well it's quite a quite a remit and quite a portfolio but i can i can see why the technologist in you is tickled by the by the role and the possibilities there i just want to take this opportunity to thank our production partner and sponsor jano media for their support in delivering the decarb connect podcast over the last few years, they've helped us to facilitate great conversations that connect us with our audience and their skills and expertise mean that we get to concentrate exclusively on generating the content, the conversations that engage, inform and inspire. So as you say, um, Schneider is obviously really well known as that automation energy management leader. So. The, the theme of our discussion today though is is slightly different and it's kind of I'm curious about how how it is that you have come here today to talk about the prosumer number one but that that role in re-envisioning the grid so something really quite system big picture you know it's I know it's linked to your work but how how have we how has Schneider come to sort of this as a as a key topic a key area of thought leadership would you say
0: yeah yeah you know I've if- if you look at what we do as a business, you know, in energy management, you know, we've been involved for almost 100 years since the acquisition of, you know, Square D and evolving into where we are today with uh, Schneider Electric. One of the themes that we talk about a lot is what we call electricity 4.0, right, which is really mapping, you know, energy transition, energy growth, energy modernization to what's happening in the industrial sectors. And so prosumer for us, it it may speak uh, to what you would think would be a residential customer, but it's not necessarily just that. In fact, a large part of the addressable market that we're working in, you know what we call prosumer is also commercial and industrial customers, right? who are really really looking at pathways to decarbonize their industry, to decarbonize what they do from an energy perspective as well as other areas of emission. And so sustainability is a key part of that as well um for the work that we're doing with prosumer is really involves you know the digitization of what is happening in electricity for 4.0 as we call it and so we have made a number of different investments that you have seen in regards to like hardware we have announced like a lot of the different microgrid solutions that we have we have launched some new prosumer hardware for residential customers Uh, We have also made uh, investments in software companies with recent acquisition of AutoGrid and QMerit and Energy Sage. And so there's a lot of businesses that we actually see as complementary to this industry. Um, From my perspective, it's a system of system plays that involve both hardware and software. And if you can bring the two together and create a lot of the appropriate synergies, I think that we can help accelerate and drive forward electrification.
1: So well, one of the things that's always fun on an audio podcast is to get people to describe, you know, complex systems without the use of graphs or, or anything. But can you, um, in this kind of new energy landscape, how how do you describe for an audio audience what the fully decarbonized grid looks like? You know, if we can piece these things together, these elements of software and hardware Physically, what would it look like? Theoretically, well, not theoretically, it's probably the wrong word, but what's going on, you know, in the background around that physical infrastructure as well?
0: Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about, you know, prosumers, you know, the the term has been around for a decade and it really refers to, you know, Consumers that both produce and use and want to be part of, you know, the energy system.
1: You know, I had to Wikipedia it, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) I was a little embarrassed, but it was—it's interesting that you say it's only been, you know, only been around for a decade, and yet has been around for a decade because it was not not something that has come up in our, you know, in the way that we talk to the industry. Anyway, it was interesting.
0: Yeah, and so you know, a, a good way to think about this is where does the prosumer exist in the context of the grid? Well, they exist at the edge of the grid, right? Because, you know, they are the ones that are not only consuming, but they're now producing energy as well, right? The opportunity there is really to essentially look at the grid as something that is evolving to exist well beyond a meter. The traditional energy systems, you know, as many people know, it's it's essentially a funnel where you have bulk generation that creates electrons that flow down a series of wires ultimately to the point of consumption, which usually is at a meter and maybe a little past it, whether it be a commercial facility or a house. But the distributed energy systems of today and the future are going to go well beyond the meter, right? And so if you start to think about the technology, the new energy technologies that exist in that expanded vision of the grid, you know, you're know, you thinking of solar systems, you're thinking of battery storage systems, hydrogen systems that are going to be part of you know multi-energy complexes. And so all of that, the challenge is, and the opportunity is to really take a system that was designed for unidirectional flow of energy into something that is highly multidirectional, right? And so it's really pushing the grid into a state of operation that it was not designed for.
1: But how does that work? Like, literally, if you imagine that, I don't know, let's take a city, like, what would we see in a city in a fully decarbonized grid? What would be looking and feeling different? Because I I sort of I sort of understand that 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 theoretical description but what does that translate to in terms of physical infrastructure
0: well hopefully you see a lot more blue sky let's start there <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice
0: yeah. yeah yeah i think what you're going to see in cities is you know you're going to see a lot more uh, clean energy infrastructure that will be much more apparent, right? Parking garages that have solar arrays on top, buildings that have solar systems, buildings that actually no longer have a diesel generator as a backup that have battery systems, right? And so I think that it'll be something that'll happen over time, but you can already see it. In fact, if you look down in Australia, as an example, you know there are areas of Australia today that 65% of the generation on any day comes from rooftop solar. Right. that's either commercial or residential. Uh, and so and and it's very apparent, you know, or if you go to Europe, I just got back from Germany and everywhere you look in Germany, you can see turbines because of all of the investments that they have made in wind energy. And so I think a lot of these changes are really really important. Now, if I take it to the city level as you're describing it, it's probably going to be a little less apparent. But what you will see is going to be the infrastructure to be able to support kind of new energy technologies, such as the build out of EV charging infrastructure, right? And I think that that's where you're really going to see how on the demand side, at least there are new investments that have been made in infrastructure that are going to be quite apparent.
1: So, So that's our kind of physical view of it. And you've given this the sense of like the background architecture. But obviously, in all of that, all of the connected tissue that brings all of that together, there's very different types of well it sounds like different types of participants who will be contributing in in a different way than they do now so what what can you tell us about your sense of that your vision of that you know what what do you think will be different about the participants involved and, and what they're bringing to the mix
0: yeah yeah well the participants are going to be involved you know are bringing part of the systems that are part of the system of systems as I mentioned earlier right you know and so uh, let's say I am a you know commercial facility and I have rooftop solar and I have battery systems and I also have excess energy, right? That I can actually contribute back. And so they become a participant, right? Now for them, uh, the management of that has to be somewhat transparent, if not fully transparent, because it is a super complex problem to actually solve. The way that we characterize it a lot is talking about how it's an orchestration opportunity from the grid to the consumer. Right. And so I talked about how the energy system extends beyond the meter when it gets that granular and you have, you know, you move from having thousands of points of generation in a bulk system to millions of points of generation that are highly distributed, then it really does become an optimization problem. And so this is where a lot of the software technologies, you know, that are emerging today are going to be so absolutely critical because the system that was designed for one Y flow of electrons now needs to be managed. And it's really going to be a lot of software that's actually going to drive that.
1: Do you, is, is your sense that those players and that those tools, like, are, are they, to what extent are they in existence now? Both both the collaborators and the tools and, and how much of this is yet to materialize or yet to be you know pulled, pulled into that, uh, the early stages of that system?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of these capabilities that have been around for a long time. Now, you could you could look to the traditional sources of innovation, like the National Labs. They've been working a lot of autonomous energy systems for many, many years. Um, there have been providers like AutoGrid who we acquired. There are others that provide DERMS-related capability and DERMS being distributed energy resource management system. They provide those capabilities, but there's been a lot of experimentation. And what we are seeing now is really a big different shift. In that we we are at a point in time, especially when you look at a lot of the mandates around decarbonization. You know, twenty thirty is not far away, and so now we're starting to see deployment of those type of orchestration systems at scale. Then it's pretty exciting because I think it's going to be you know essential to be able to do this. And so you see this convergence of you know rapid deployment of the actual technologies themselves like batteries and solar and such as well as you know multiple players being involved in this problem of essentially orchestrating those resources
1: and are you getting the feel i mean i know you work with a, a range or rather schneider electric works with a, a range of clients but you know, if you if we go back to the kind of current uh, grid system, are, are those players are they stepping up to this? Do you get the feeling that you know are there people in place that are sort of working on a similar mission to you, or does it is there some kind of lag? Like, what what's your sense of how the existing market is reacting to that opportunity?
0: I think that they are rapidly engaging now, <clears throat> but I think that what they recognize also is that there's a lot of catch up that needs to be done, right? You know it, when you think of the grid, you think of a highly regulated system, right? regulated in terms of security, regulated in terms of the markets, and regulated in terms of how consumers you know are engaged as customers in the grid or ratepayers, as they were previously called by utilities, right? And now they're talking about customers. And so I think that what you're seeing is the the policy and markets and technology are coming into alignment. And there's a lot of investment that are kind of that is flowing into that space as well. And so, you know, one of the uh, I I participate in an industry association called SEPA, the Smart Electric Power Alliance, and SEPA has a a event that happens yearly. uh, RE Plus is what it's called now. And last year's event in Pasadena was astounding. There were twenty seven thousand people that came to just learn about what is happening with new energy technologies solar and storage. And so, I think that the amount of focus on this industry right now is greater than it has been, you know, ever, which is exciting because it's needed. You need need bright people, you need new technologies, and you also need a lot of folks that are involved in policy because of how it being such a regulated industry to be involved in actually driving change forward. But there certainly, from my perspective, seems to be this pervasive bias for action. Mm.
1: So uh, I, I mentioned, I mean, we, our client base uh, for decarbonnectors Connectors is, is more on the industrial process manufacturer side, but I, I'm sort of guessing that there will be a similar driver in the, the grid and power community, which is once you stop just seeing it as something that you must invest in and that there's a problem to solve, and it's actually about the opportunity, and we'll come into this now, it, that drives its own energy, a very different kind of energy. So what are the, the types of services, solutions you know opportunities that would come out of this for perhaps one of those kind of old school um participants in the grid system as well as the newer companies coming in what what do you see coming out as commercial opportunities on the other side
0: Yeah, I'll give. There's there's one really good example that I can provide. is around just uh, what would be considered energy services, and so energy services. And I'll provide a kind of a bit of a definition around that. Is you know leveraging or taking advantage of this opportunity to provide distributed generation back into the grid. Okay. There's been a lot of limitations up until recently around that, but FERC issued an order a couple of years ago, FERC order 2222, that allows for aggregation of distributed energy and in many different resource formats. And so that includes everything from solar to battery systems to even demand response, which in some ways is somewhat behavioral. But the aggregation opens up an opportunity for a new form of energy service provider. And so if you are a commercial commercial uh, organization that has multiple facilities and you deploy rooftop solar on all of your facilities, you're able to actually participate in aggregations. You can become an aggregator yourself, or you can participate in an aggregation and monetize some of the energy that you're actually producing on your commercial facility.
1: Okay, well, let's, let's sort of flip our attention a bit away from, so we've got this vision of what it might physically look like we've got a sense of the sort of background the connective tissue and some of the opportunities um this is a question that anyone who listens to this know that i'm ill-equipped to ask but i i, I need to ask it's like about the architecture of a resilient grid what, what does that mean to you when i ask you that question like what is the architecture of this resilient grid and then we can talk a little bit more again about what the prosumers role in that is what what does that look like
0: yeah, you know, it's it's interesting when I get asked this question, because it's been, you know, for years, a very analog architecture, right? And here is where, you know, there's both a challenge and an opportunity. The challenge is the system's not designed for this kind of energy future where I'm talking about, about multi-directional power flows, right? And so then there is also the notion and the need for a digital architecture, And that's something that a lot of investment is flowing in to create the digital architecture to be able to support those types of systems. Uh, When I was at Microsoft, we did a study and we were really looking at, you know, what would be the role of a cloud provider in that space? And Microsoft just thinking in terms of, you know, being a platform for platform creators is a good way to put it, right? Cloud is an enabling resource right? And what we determined was that as the grid progresses, it becomes more complex, and this digital architecture continues to evolve, cloud would play a role. And how does it play a role? Well, the, the grid itself today ultimately is going to require, in some estimates are upwards of $18 trillion of investment to actually be able to support the bidirectional flow of electricity. It's not designed for that. It's over-engineered, for high capacity days. However, it's only engineered really for, you know, a certain amount of bidirectional power flow. So, you have to over time make investment to actually replace the physical infrastructure, right? At the same time, the digital infrastructure can actually offer an opportunity to offset some of those capital investments that are going to be required to provide this grid that can support this multidirectional flow of energy.
1: I'm still kind of stumbling over that 18 trillion dollars of investment needed and the the question that in in the world we normally occupy with industrials often is is that money coming? is it apparent like is that how 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 would you how would you qualify that in in this space like is that is that money waiting in the wings? you,
0: know, you have your utility set there are traditional investment cycles for capital, but they're never mm-hmm. going to be enough to kind of cover that. And so, which is the justification for what was the bipartisan legislation that came out of Washington recently around the infrastructure package and around the invest the uh, Inflation Reduction Act? You know, these are really important pieces of legislation because it will require funding, and it will require you know an emerging economy of investments that come into the space for new energy technologies. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, well, sorry, coming back to the 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 architecture that you were describing, yeah. I, that's obviously not going to just suddenly come <laughs> dictated by one all-being person, you know it, this is going to have to come from the prosumer. it's going to have to come from all these players. So uh, what role do they play in that? and how do you how do you engage them in that?
0: How do I engage the prosumers?
1: Yes, I mean, it's like there's this big job around uh, even conceptualizing what architecture like that looks like means how it's conceived how yeah so what's their role in it i think to a certain extent it's going to be tied
0: to and incentives right and so you have to incentivize you know participants right to be part of this energy economy that's you know evolving Um, you have to also have to really help them understand the business benefits You know, and if you think about, you know, a business, what is their number one objective is probably to reduce a lot of the cost associated with their operation, right? And so if you can provide a pathway where you can leverage, you know, essentially clean energy technologies to fuel your business, to be able to provide the energy you need for your operations, while at the same time also offering an opportunity to be able to decarbonize, to reduce emissions. And certainly that is an objective in boardrooms worldwide right now. I think that the benefits truly start to outweigh the investments that are going to be required.
1: Okay, so we've already talked about this architecture, the infrastructure we need, we talked about like this coming together of everything from electric vehicles through to the software and all these types of technology that are going to drive this sort of sustainable, uh, yeah, very different kind of grid that that you know is going to drive the energy transition will be the result of it. AI is clearly, I imagine, a part of that. It's causing. I don't know about I don't know about in the states at the moment. But it seems to be in the papers a lot. A lot of anxiety around it. Sure. What's your What's your position? You know what What do you see when you look at AI as an opportunity or a challenge? And I'm, I, I'm imagining it's a pretty essential role in what you're describing. So, yeah. yeah, what What can you tell me about your perspective on that?
0: Yeah, my My perspective on AI is that it is additive, or enabling technology, right? And if you think of, you know, I talked earlier about the optimization challenge, you know, that we have to solve for in this highly distributed energy system, being able to have decision support in that complex of a system is gonna be absolutely essential. Right. And so this is where I think AI can play a role. And I think that there are gonna be use cases even that are probably smaller than that. In being able to just help with, you know, assessments of a commercial or industrial facility, and to be able to do digital assessments by way of photographs that are interpreted by an algorithm that can help with, you know, making calculations around propensity for being able to deploy solar on a particular site, Because I think that there's a lot of uh, we've just scratched the surface in regards to how AI can be applied here. I certainly don't see. Chat GPT is playing a role necessarily in energy systems. I think that generative AI in regards to being able to help to interpret a lot of the legacy information associated with a grid does have application. And so I'm actually really excited. And we've been so SE Ventures, you know, we are looking really closely at AI technologies and how it can be applied broadly across our business, both in energy management as well as industrial automation and innovation.
1: Mm. but more at the moment more at that kind of sifting of information rather than the skynet doom scenario which everyone loves to jump to but but right. more about yeah I guess I guess how we're seeing it in in medicine and in other uh, other industries where again they're looking at it more as a how do we speed up this kind of basic task of sifting and evaluating so that then that that human decision making is focused in the right area that that, that I guess is what I'm hearing
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that you could look at, like, just for the planning function for the grid operators, right? You know, for them to effectively plan for this growth that's going to be associated with the energy transition. And some are even talking about, you know, having to triple the capacity of the grid by 2050 Mm -hmm. to be able to support all of this industrial electrification and transportation. You have to understand what happened in the past. And so to your point, I think sifting is actually a good way to quantify it because to be able to just run the what-if scenarios on what happened uh, on the grid at any given point in time, whether it be associated with weather, associated with different generation aspects, I think it's going to really play an important role because understanding what happened on the grid in the past helps us plan for what happens on the grid in the
1: future. Mm. So, I mean, as as we're talking through this, the kind of levels of like your, your greater painting the picture and explaining it in a way that makes it sound other than the price tag perhaps you know like infinitely achievable very fast but clearly yeah. there is a, a staggered timeline here i wonder what do you see coming down the track in the kind of short term like and, and can you i mean it's impossible i imagine to really put a timeline on the on the, the the different stages of activity but what what can you tell us about what you see happening yeah. you know and when what we are seeing
0: is there is, you know, certainly an incredible amount of inertia right now behind, you know, commercial and industrial electrification, you know, when it comes to everything from fleet electrification for vehicles to electrifying heavy industry to looking at other, you know, non-emitting technologies like hydrogen, right, for industry. I think that there is is certainly a lot of participation across many sectors, you know, involved with that. Um, I think that where we are headed too is only going to continue to accelerate because, you know, looking at, you know, not only the policies that have been put in place in regards to decarbonization, but the opportunities associated with that are truly getting many to engage.
1: And in terms of like how the grid, you know, makes these big leaps forward in the States, do you, uh, I don't know, I I imagine, does it does it follow the kind of current system of these different markets where, you know, electricity is generated and distributed? Do you think it will be that, for the sake of argument, PJM is going to lead the way? Or is it, is that yeah. already still thinking in an analog way about what is possible?
0: Well, here, here is where we probably are a little out of alignment still, right? And, you know, because I talked about, you know, being important to have policy and markets and technology aligned. We, we're out of alignment in some areas too, you know, and it's like, you know, for, for lack of a better system, The United States is organized into many, many different jurisdictions when it comes to managing the grid, right? You have, and and each commission, you know, has their own different way of operating. And so I think that there is perhaps a need for unification to really be able to progress with energy transition because of all of the immense pressure that is put on the local commissions to be able to approve the investments that are needed for modernization. And while also at the same time, making sure that they're taking care of and looking out for, you know, who their number one, you know, constituent or their number one stakeholder is, which is the consumer. And so I think that there is a real need to help to educate the uh, different commissions that are out there and help them understand the different technologies that actually offer a lot of long-term durable benefit towards the objective of really decarbonizing the system.
1: I mean, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here. So coming back to you and your team, you yeah. know, we we've looked at this opportunity. You've painted this incredible picture. What is what is next for you? You know, you've been how, how long have you been in role now?
0: Just over a year.
1: Just over a year. So you're a year in. What's the kind of the short term looking like? You mentioned at the beginning that obviously your role and your group is looking at uh, all sorts of uh, collaborations as much as technologies and things like that. So what, what's the kind of short term for you that that is driving this longer term big picture?
0: Yeah, I think that the short term for us is to just continue with the momentum in our investments in digital capabilities. You know, we think that it's absolutely essential. and. You know, coming from a company that you know has been around for 150 years, looking across, you know, different sectors and different industries, we have a very interesting role to play in this and that we truly do understand what I talked about in regards to analog systems. We understand new energy technologies. Uh, and so I see us as really playing a role to start to provide that connective tissue across, mm-hmm. you know, digital capabilities as well as, you know, essentially, you know, physical capabilities as well. And Mm. so what, what does the, the near-term future look like? I think that it's going to be starting to really focus on how we create that system of systems and the role Mm. that Schneider Electric has to play in actually helping to provide that binding material.
1: Great. Well, Scott, thank you so much. I I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not the technologist you needed on the other side of this conversation, but you are very good at, at the kind of the use language and paint the picture so that I think anyone with a, you know, a strong level of understanding or a layman's level will will take um, really useful information from this. So thank you very much for, for joining us for this. Enjoyed
0: the conversation a lot.
1: At Jano Media, we recognize that great content has the power to create impactful and positive change for lives and society. Whether that's video, live streams, photography, or podcasts, partnering with us will enable you to harness the power of content to engage, inform and inspire. Reach out to us today.